Before we start, I've just got one question. You know when you're making out, what do you like to have on in the background? Lovecraft or Robert E. Howard? Oh, well, I mean, how can you how can you argue with such a paragon of manliness as H.P. Lovecraft? There we go. That's what I thought. I, I, I heard they listen to me when they're making out. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Ribbon of Memes, episode 16, helpfully reminded right before the start of the podcast for me. Um, this is a podcast in which we interrogate films previously described by other diners as masterpieces. Today we're going to be shooting the breeze and very carefully eating some popcorn as we discuss Barry Levinson's directorial debut, the 1982 film Diner. Hmm. I am joined, oh, sorry, I haven't mentioned that I am Nick and I am joined as ever by my companion Roger oh. as we undertake this filmic odyssey in which nothing happens at all. Yeah, I will admit this was a bit harder work than some of the films we've watched. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to... Yeah, I, I, I would say, my, I mean, my reaction is it is, I hate to use the word meh, but I would say it is my most meh film yet. <laughs> and to the point where, during watching this film, I had to double-check, I because I, we were discussing which film to watch uh, after the last podcast, I remembered this being a classic, a masterpiece that many people talk about as having an influence on them. I had to double-check, I hadn't misremembered, and just... <laughs> um, I think... Well, look, we can get into that a bit more. My, I mean, the synopsis of the film is it is between four and six depending on who you consider protagonists in this film 20 something men certainly don't consider any women protagonists in this film I, I would suggest um 20 something men in baltimore on the cusp of becoming grown-up men well in some and, cases anyway in some cases and the uh the amusing shenanigans that occur along the way and now, that, if that sounds like a film that you've watched before, that is because it's a film you've watched before. Because <laughs> I, this may be the first one. One of my problems with Diner, I think, is not really Diner's fault. And that is because it has clearly been massively influential. Because basically, pretty much every episode of 90s sitcoms owes an awful lot to Diner, as far as I can tell. Um, as well as Tarantino, too, and pretty much a lot of films. Wherever people are talking about stuff that isn't plot-relevant seems to have come pretty much directly from Diner. Certainly Cons- there's a lot of the style there. The um, yeah, we, we, we are chatting about this or that or the other. It's completely inconsequential, but but it does, some to, uh, does something to uh, establish who the characters are, at least in a minor yeah. way. It's not. I, I, I thought you were going to go with uh, enhanced uh, further the plot, which it kind of almost doesn't, and that's almost the point of it. But it really it does something somewhere. I'm Remember, sure. Remember, I have been asleep for five million years and know little of these nineties sitcoms <laughs> of which you speak. It. Uh, I mean, particularly Seinfeld and Friends are owe a huge amount to Diner. I would say the staging. It's a very. Um, Bland. I, I feel I've been very bland on this. But I, I suppose I would start with an excuse. I think the reason Diner to me seems a bit uh, is that I've seen it uh, so many times now in so many different ways. I've seen these guys getting into these scrapes and chatting about this kind of nonsense a lot. Um, and the, this may be why. Why I, mean, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but I found I found it thought provoking. Possibly because I haven't seen a lot of the imitations and, and okay. followers on. It's been um, I don't know. It, it, it didn't feel very new to me. Was, we talked about films that may uh, suffer by the fact that they've been imitated. I feel no film that we've watched so far has suffered so much as this one, personally, mm. by the fact that it's just been repeated and repeated. And well, repeated. it also kind of felt. As if it were following on from 
the frat house comedies, you know, your Animal House, mm. your Porkies, that kind of thing. I mean, it says it says they're a bit older and they get yeah. they get up to less outrageous things, but. In essence, it is still, here is a bunch of young men who have no particular responsibilities. Yes, here, look, look at the man children, ho, 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 kind of. Um, uh, and I don't know why I'm feeling particularly, I, I don't know, I don't feel terribly strongly about it, and in a way that <laughs> offends me too, because I, I, it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's quite a, misogynistic film isn't it i mean i it just the men i mean i appreciate okay i i I do understand there is a level where it's stepping back from that and looking at the way these boys because that's what they are really boys treat women and they treat them as conquests um or as idols they certainly don't treat them as humans or companions in pretty much any the closest character we have doing that is mickey rourke's character is it Boogie? Boogie. Boozy? Boogie. I, I will admit he... I kept a checklist while I was watching this. <laughs> um, and he's the guy who uh, basically causes an inappropriate sexual <laughs> encounter in a, in a cinema. And, I, you know, I know that was supposed to be played for laughs. I, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I'll come on to. Well, uh, there's the a comedy. thing I'd like, I'd like to uh, put in there, which is. This is something I've tended to think of as a problem mostly of a fairly modern film, but mm. it, it's happening here as well. It basically assumes that we're going to like these people, and therefore mm. it never takes the few moments it would take to make them likable. Why yes. do I care what happens to them? Oh, well, they're young and vaguely good-looking white men, therefore they must be the good guys. Yeah, and even though some of them uh, are very good actors and act these parts very well, and some of them have considerable charm... Uh, yeah, I agree. It doesn't overcome my inherent dislike because I've uh, I've been a guy in a room with other guys like this and haven't felt like one of the guys in that room and haven't felt like I liked any of them then. I don't feel like I like any of them now either. Well, com- compare with our film from last week, Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm. which, whatever its problems, has a perfect intro sequence. You know, mm. once by the time Indy's on the plane, you know... He he is a treasure hunter, he is a good guy, he is working hard for what he does, he's being competent, he's trying to save his assistant until his assistant turns on him. Yes. You know, we, we know we we are we are in in favour of yes. this guy. Yes. Even though he is looting gold from other people's <laughs> temples. Exactly. And and this just never has that. No, well it has I I think you absolutely hit the nail on there, but it's kind of Assumed we like these guys because they're like us, you know. We've met these people. They're a bit like a, we've all had moments of that in our life. Maybe I'm atypical. I haven't, and I don't like these people. <laughs> I, I, this isn't a, a slice of my life, um, and I, it feels weirdly. It's a it's a sort of double nostalgia. This is an '80s film about the '60s. Well, '59. For that matter. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I grew up 60s. with Happy Days on Endless Repeat on whichever <laughs> channel it was on Endless Repeat on. And the, this had a lot of that same feel to me. Exactly. Which I would suggest feels neither quite like the 80s or probably like the 60s, but sort of a, a place of its own. It felt to me weirdly. Well, it's, it's nostalgia, like, isn't not, it? It is. But some films do that better than others. I, I wasn't, to me, it felt like a 90s film, <laughs> weirdly. Mm. Um, it was, it was strange. I, but I, I agree. I didn't warm to the characters. One thing I had a problem. I'm being very negative on this. We will talk about positivity. One thing I had a problem with that I never felt any of the actors quite overcame is, and some films do brilliantly, some films like this do brilliantly, is these people were, these the six guys, I mean, when I say these people, we're mainly talking about Kevin Bacon, Steve Gutenberg, Mickey Rourke, um, and Daniel Stern, hmm. with maybe um, Paul Reiser and the other very bland guy, who Tim I Daly. can't even remember. <laughs> that who, one. Who, whose role seems to be mostly, I am clean cut. Yes. I mean, I could but, picture him playing a young Superman. He, he has that sort of look. He does, even though he has <clears throat> the edgiest dialogue. I mean, to me, that was a, one of the dumbest. The, his threats, I'll... I'll punch you so hard I'll kill your whole family. I mean, what? Just, it was just. Not, I mean, if if that had been delivered by someone with some menace or physical threat, it may have been a memorable line to me. It wasn't. And, but my problem was with these people. I just didn't 
by that they were friends and would remain friends their whole lives. For mm. me, you know, the, the go-to of that would be Stand By Me. The four children in that, they are outstanding in that before. Sorry, I'm talking about a different film now, which I shouldn't do. But this... <laughs> um, uh, I should, I, I'm supposed to believe that these people, and in particular, Mickey Rourke, who is arguably the best actor in the whole film, I just felt he's so outstanding compared to the others. He just, he never felt like he fitted in with them. And I didn't believe they were a, I never really believed they were a, some of them worked better than others. Mm. Uh, and I felt Kevin Bacon fit in. Well, I, 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 I didn't really believe they were friends, and that was a problem to me. And also, I found the fabled dialogue about nothing just uh, to well, me. If it, we it already felt... like these people, then yeah. we're spending time with these people we like, and that's nice. I mean, it, it feels yeah. like hanging around with 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 the with the people who say funny things. Yeah, yeah. But again, it assumes that we already like these people. Now, I would say this film, one of the many influees of this film is Tarantino. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Tarantino clearly is strongly influenced by this kind of thing. But I flipping love Tarantino and I flipping love his dialogue. Um, I I, I find the what his characters talk about interesting. And I would say in most of the cases with Tarantino, you don't like his characters. You're not supposed to or you're not really. I mean, you think they're cool. But you don't really like them. But I still like the dialogue, so I don't know why it doesn't quite work for me here. Maybe it's because there's an inherent threat of violence in all of Tanchiro's films, which I was hoping would be here, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but it didn't. I don't know. I, I, uh, I think one thing that's worth considering, and th- I, I will say up front, this, this is this is where we've part ways comprehensively with Pauline Kale, who was largely responsible for this oh, film getting goodness. released. Goodness, yes, and normally uh, we are in firm agreement with... It's about time we had a disagreement with Pauline Kael. So, d- just to give some quick background on that, um, the film the film got made, test screenings were generally negative, the studio was thinking, yeah, you know, maybe we're not actually going to release this. Uh, Kale was one of the uh, reviewers it was, it was uh, exhibited to, and she basically blackmailed them. She said, I am going to write a glowing review of this film, whether you release it or not. And if you don't release <laughs> right. it, everybody's going to say, why aren't you releasing it? And she was very influential by yeah. that. Well, this was 82, wasn't it? Yeah, of course she was, yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, she... she, she what, one of her points where, where I do, I think, agree with her is that this is just before the sexual revolution. And it, mm-hmm. it, it I think it's quite hard for us now. You know, we, we all grew up, obviously, well after that. Uh, had bedded in, as it were, yes. um, to see just how different it is. I mean, these are the separate male and female worlds. The men can talk with each other, and they can shoot the shit for hours talking about nothing at all. Yeah, but none of them can do it with their wives or girlfriends. None of them can do it. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's a that is a truism. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't find that a particularly offensive. Uh, well, the but... thing is, it. it it was more true, and particularly oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the late 50s, it was still the case in a lot of places that women would be expected to give up work when they got married, at least in certain jobs. Yeah, it was... Well, that, it was a truism, then, because and I, I suppose I feel... Uh, I don't know that it changed as much as Pauline Kale thought, because much of... Uh, I know you may not... Much of Friends... And much of Seinfeld is the whole comedy comes from the fundamental miscommunication between men and women in mm. most of the cases. Um, and, uh, the, the sheer confusion about what goes on, uh, mainly, frankly, what goes on in a woman's head from a man's point of view. And that, that is where the comedy arises. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, we still have the whole, you know, men from Mars, women from Venus nonsense as well, but. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, mm, so I, I mean, I'm not offended by that because if I was, oh, I'm, I'm not by saying, that, I'm not saying that this is offensive. I'm saying no. this, this is where Levinson, who who wrote as well as directed, is yes. is coming from the, this mindset in which they just really don't have anything to say to each other. And yeah, you know, the, okay, shall we, shall we start talking about the individual characters? Yes, we should. Um, yes. So, <laughs> uh, so Eddie, he's about to get married. Yes. He's not really sure about this. One, one gets the feeling he's, he's really getting married because getting married is the thing that you do. You know, it's what you're expected yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But he has... He's actually got an answer to this. 
<laughs> you know, he, he, he's got this hugely difficult quiz about sports for his fiance. Yeah. And I, I would point out, she put, she puts up with this rubbish. I know. I mean, that, I just that shows how desperate like, she is. I'd be like, are you kidding? All right, piss off then. I'll go find someone else. I just, I mean, it's, I don't know. I'm sure that is making a comment. You know, he's desperately trying to have Maker one of the guys, except he doesn't really want it to be one of the guys, and he's he wants to have something to talk about. Except it really it doesn't deep down. I I I get that it's making some kind of point about that, and I get. But well, that when, when secret... he when he's asking um, Shrevi, I think it is. Yeah, you know, what's married life like? Because yeah, he, he, just, he a... just has no clue. Well, that was a good scene. I, I yeah. did like that scene because it was, um, you know, Shrevey basically, ah, I, on the one hand, he's like saying it's an absolute nightmare. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm completely lost. And on the other hand, you know, he's just like, but yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I, I thought that was really nicely played from both. And I will yeah. stress, I there, think there, there are a, a few really solid scenes in here. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, did, I got I annoyed by a lot of the things that felt like padding, but that, that, that was one of the very good ones. Yeah. I like, and I, I think that, uh, even through all the padding, I think the film is very well acted. But we'll come on to that a bit. Anyway. Let's we'll stick with um, Eddie. Well, yeah. So Steve Guttenberg. Um, yeah, that, this was a slight revelation to me. Not, not his first film role, but he wasn't well known at this point. Um, a few years later, he did the Police Academy films and Short Circuit, and frankly, to my mind, became a cliche. Yes, but, but here he's he's actually flipping acting, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's young and hungry, and he wants to make his. You know, was this is his big chance. Yeah, it's good. I liked it. He, he was, he's, yeah, he pulls it off well. Yeah, he's an interesting cat, and I didn't, I didn't like him <laughs> especially. <laughs> but I, I, I don't think you're particularly meant to like any of them, to be honest. Well, I don't, maybe, maybe it would be nice if they succeeded level, but not maybe not even that. You know, I didn't find. But I suppose this is where I slightly. I don't know. This is my problem with the film in a lot of ways. I thought it was well acted. I thought Steve Gunberg did a great job. The character is not terribly interesting to me all mm. very believable i'm sure somewhere in the world someone has once done that with a potential for you know i'm sure it's happened because people are awful and people are, and, and i'm sure that has become an anecdote and it's the kind of thing people say oh you couldn't make it up and yet yeah, no i'm sure it, you can make it up for one thing you can make mm -hmm. anything up so but another thing i i, I just it felt like a bit of a dull anecdote. I mean, for me, like a lot of the things in this film, and this is one of the... The sin that the film commits to me more than anything is, as a comedy, I just didn't find it funny. And particularly <laughs> this, this felt like a set piece that was supposed to be like, oh, look at this, he's, he's actually going through with it, and he, come, he comes out and delivers the punchline, the wedding's off. And I'm like, alright, I don't don't care. I didn't find it funny or interesting. Run, girl, run because... for your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just, I didn't find it charming or funny or interesting. And similarly, you know that I found this with a lot of the the set pieces in the in the film, the the cinema scene, which I've heard a lot about. Um, I, I've heard all oh, the cinema scene. It's great. Um, where Mickey Rourke sticks his cock into some popcorn um, in order to win a bet. I just. I didn't find it staged terribly funny. Mm. I, I didn't, uh, I don't know. I didn't feel, I thought it was pretty flat myself, unlike Mickey Rourke in the, in that scene. I just, I don't know. I, I didn't find it terribly funny and I felt like I was supposed to. I wasn't offended by it. I wasn't like, this is disgusting. I was just like, all right, well, this has been, excuse the expression, this has been strongly flagpoled. What's about to happen? Oh, it happened. There we go. The only surprise. Yeah, it, it, in the whole... it doesn't trust the audience to to work to work out the joke. No, it's it's pretty clear what he's doing. And then the only surprise in it is that Mickey Rourke's character has enough. I I would say compassion, empathy, maybe or something to talk around after doing that, which is an impressive feat. Well, I, I would say that that's not empathy. That that is more the the effective persuader. I mean, you could see him yeah. as a salesman. Yes, yeah, um, he does. In fact, he's going to end up as a salesman. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, um, but the fact that you can see that, that the fact that he has to do that ridiculous thing and he pulls it off really, uh, oh, sorry, this is unfortunate. He does manage to convince it and you believe that he would. I think that works well. Mm. Sorry, I've switched to a different character now. Um, but 
uh, sorry, I, I, I'm bouncing around. Steve Grissom, well, I've said all I want to say about Yeah, Eddie. well, if, if we look at Boogie, I mean, uh, did we say spoilers? Spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the spoilers. I, uh, all right, I, I'm, I'm biased against the flashy, charismatic guy who can talk his way out of anything because I've met the type and I don't like him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, you know, to, towards the end, he is blatantly predatory on Beth. I mean, he 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 is talking her into cheating on her husband, yes. not not because he wants to screw her, which would at least be a reasonable, you know, objective. Because I mean, this is Ellen Barkin in her first film role. But, yeah, and well, we'll talk about Ellen Barkin. But there. simply um, because he needs to win the bet. Yeah, for his own. Now, I suppose you could argue, you know, his life is at risk if he doesn't do this. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty unpleasant predatory behaviour. And, and the, the way it, it feels to me is he makes that one right decision yeah. not to go through with it, and suddenly he's a good guy. Choirs of angels, you know? His, yeah, his great redemption is he doesn't screw his friend's wife to win a bet. <laughs> I mean, that's, well, what a hero. I I agree. I completely agree. And it's not. It's a nice redemptive art. In some ways it would have been more interesting. Well, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it could have been interesting either way. I just didn't find it interesting. In the, the feeling I get from all of these people is that they, you know, they, they are not for the most part evil, but they are desperately limited because they've basically never had hard problems. You know, daddy will bail you out of jail. Even if he doesn't bail you out of jail that night, he'll come and get you in the morning. Uh, your well, fiance nice... will put up with the sports quiz. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, you, yeah, something will come through. You, 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 you'll be able to pay off your bets. <laughs> well, I think there is something to be said for. I just, I may be reading more into this than Barry. I, I don't want it. Uh, there is something to be said to be the fact that these men are victims of the society, as well as the women who are clearly victims in this film. The men are victims too because they are just in this position where that's what you do you you're in this but you this is how you treat women this is how all your friends do it you're not expected to do anything else yeah we 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 don't see any adult relationships no no they're all but i i felt like you could make an excuse for them in that they are not they're not atypical they are just part of society they're all no one thinks it's unusual and that frankly is a society we recognise because it's ours, or at least it was, and significant parts of it still are. And I do, I do think that gives the men a pat. But it didn't feel like it was, you know, at least, at least. Oh, I'm not going to excuse raging bull, but at least it was a pretty unflinching examination of toxic masculinity. This was kind of the banality of toxic masculinity. Well, I, I think the, the thing is that they don't realise they have power because the guys they're dealing with. Are, you know, the bookies, the, yeah, b- people who are more powerful than them in the things they care about. Yeah, yeah. So they're, d- yeah. And they don't, I, and they I, don't notice the people who are less powerful than them. <laughs> that's the tragedy. And, and I suppose you could, that, it could be a comment on society in that way. It just didn't feel like it was really. I, <laughs> I feel like that's a generous reading of it, that, that it is, you know, these, these men are victims. And I, well, I think there is something of that too, that they're all, lost and children and not really understanding. They, they would have to be reasonably impressive to break out from what everybody has always told them is the way this is and they aren't particularly yes. impressive people. So. Okay. Yes. I mean, the one closest to... I mean, I suppose the other... So, well, so we talked about... Big, I, he, yeah, I mean, he's... Ricky Morgan's phenomenally good-looking in this. He's less so nowadays, but he, <laughs> he is really good. I, I felt he just didn't quite fit in with the rest. He's he's a bit of a... He doesn't... In the way... I'm going to go back mm. to Stand By Me, where Chris, the, the character who plays a similar part, played by River Phoenix, is this kind of clearly going places, outstanding, charismatic character. Um, but he still ground himself where he still interacts with the other people in a way that you believe he's part of that society. Mickey Rourke, I don't know, felt a bit too good for the film <laughs> here. He just he just seemed a bit transcendent. Well, like, one feels that, that at the very least he would have other things to be doing all the time. You know, that, that sort of hustler attitude. Yeah. Which yeah, he's still hanging out at the diner with the rest of them. And he still so. Exactly. That he stood out to me and then someone who But I I guess because in some ways the ones who are sitting in the diner 
shooting the shit, ah, oh, kind of losers. And he doesn't really feel like a loser in in the way he's betrayed. I know he's in trouble, and I know he's having problems, but it just didn't quite fit in mm. that way. But I think he was very good. I mean, uh, again... And he the, does actually have this this revelation, you know, holy crap, I actually am going to get beaten to a pulp. Yes, yeah. And I'm not going to get bailed... Well, all right, he is bailed out of it, but he doesn't think he will be. No. And he he, he squares up to it, and he's, he's... I mean, it's very... That is a good performance. I, I'm trying to think of a standout moment for him. Mm, I mean, we have this slightly random moment of him pursuing... That, well, I guess that scene with Beth on the stairs where he says, no, no, we're not going to do this. Yeah. It's the closest yeah, but... he gets. And also, I suppose it is it, it is a good performance when you realise, as you say, he knows he's going to get beaten up, he realises his way out of it is Beth, and he decides he's going to seduce her there and does it very well. That's a nice phrase. But then we have the random uh, equestrian lady that he sort of <laughs> suddenly turns up on a horse and is going to in a pork pie hat and charms his way to, yeah. I will say that's not my experience of equestrian ladies that that would go down well I'm just going <laughs> to put it in there um, but oh, yes but you were you were basically turning up as the equivalent of the car repair man weren't you <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true fair point um, I th- it's good um, he's good in it in he Mickey Rourke but mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't know didn't quite fit with the rest of the film Kevin yeah, Bacon. very early in his career, I and mean, he'd he'd been the uh, arsonist in Body Heat, but that was really the only role he was known oh, for. He was in Body Heat, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he so. went on from here to do. He had a. I mean, it's interesting. Every one of these people, uh, including Ellen Barkin, thankfully had a a career for sure mm. for life from this film. Um, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? I mean, there's not many films that. It, it feels like a film that a lot of Hollywood watched and thought, "Hey, I want to hire that guy." Yeah, well, it, it does, doesn't it? Because then we've seen everyone else in it. Um, so moving on to Kevin Bacon, of course, yeah. the classic, um, uh, the classic, uh, uh, how would you put it? Centre of everyone's web of celebrities. Um, he's very good. I, I mean, Kevin Bacon was the character I liked most in this film. Kevin Bacon's character, Fen- Fen- Fagel? Fenky? Fenwick. 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 Fenwick, probably. Fenwick. Um, cause he, uh, one, Probably because he doesn't have a lot to do with women in the film. He is just self-destructive, clearly very... Ta- Though, I don't know, the way it well, shows... Well, it, it, it's smart and self-destructive, the whole college bowl scene, which is his big scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more, more to my mind than, than the drunken nativity scene. Uh, yeah, he, he is far too smart for this, but for reasons, which we'll come back to, honestly, we will. We won't end the <laughs> film without ever, ever oh, exploring this. Oh, the film's this. finished, uh, yeah. Is deliberately driving himself into the ground. Yeah, may- yeah, maybe that is because Daddy won't bail him out the way um, everybody else's Daddy does. Yes, I felt that was supposed to be telling. So we hadn't we already had that driven home with his brother? Yeah, Daddy should drop your trust fund. Um, and I don't know that the this film's idea of showing someone is a genius on the inside is having them know the answers to a trivia. Quiz, <laughs> mm. but okay, it was university challenge, I suppose. But but it, it it is an effective portrayal of someone who who is basically already broken, in yeah. not in not the same way that Boogie is broken. No, yeah, a, 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 a streak of self destruction, and I feel Kevin Bacon does have charm here and is interesting and did to me seem to fit him with the other guys. You got the impression again; he's the other going places actually stand out brighter mm. than everyone else as well as Mickey Rourke but you can kind of understand why he is because he is sort of a loser in a, in his own way but he's kind of consciously a loser unlike the others um mm. again I, li- I I liked his character more than the others um for sure and I, again Kevin Bacon plays it well and I yeah I like the nativity scene and and the um you know he's clearly his whole point is to get arrested again it was a bit played a bit on the nose shall we say but it was um it's nice. I liked it. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of moments with these characters that that. Well, they they really only get the one. I mean, in in, in another film, you might call it the Oscar clip moment. They yeah. they each get the one big scene, as far as I can see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, well, it brings us on to Shrevey, doesn't it? Yeah. Who Daniel is, Stern? Uh, my my initial notes said, yeah, he's just sort of there. He does least well. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because of all of them, he's the one that is most openly 
unpleasant. And I, I, in some way, he gets the most. It's it's it. What am I trying to say here? He gets both the the nastiest scene where he is kind of bullying Alan Barker, his wife, mm-hmm. with his knowledge of trivia, and it's just. I, but I still thought it was nicely. But you still kind of understood where he's coming from. There is this gulf between us, and I don't understand what it is. But he's using it as a weapon. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he basically has no empathy. If if he did have yeah. empathy, you know, he could he could be mirroring. He would say, you know, how would I? How would you feel if I came into the kitchen and moved all your spices or whatever she has? We don't know. We, we don't know because she doesn't get as much of a base. Her right? Oh, um, anyway. Um, yeah, but also but, but he doesn't. Get, he just uses it to attack her. He uses it to, and then but you also he gets a few scenes, particularly, and again that is the scene I would come back to him with Gutenberg when they're talking about marriage, mm. and he is just he's just a bit sad and confused, but he does it because that's what everyone else does, and it's that's I thought that was a nice explanation of his character um, as to how well he acts it. I mean, I think he. He, he, yeah, I, th- I thought he did it okay. I mean, Daniel Stern has done probably less well out of it than anyone. What was he in? He was in Home Alone again. He was one of the Wet Bandits, as I recall. I'm not sure what else. He's yeah, done, no, nothing but... else I immediately recognised. But uh... I, I think just there does kind of sum up Daniel Stern. But I, as far I mean, it, they're all just there. But I thought he was well. He, he has some good moments, but he does fade into the background a lot. He does. Well, he, he's kind of basically out. Frankly, Gutenberg, Bacon, and Mickey are all more interesting to watch than Daniel Stern. I'm sorry to <laughs> sorry to tell you, um, but he's he's a good supporting character. And then we have the kind of uh, well, let's talk about Alan Barkin. Is it the one mm. interesting female it, it, character? It, in the film? It's a solid performance, to be fair. Mm. I mean, it's not it's again not a particularly well developed character or anything like that, but but she does a damn good job. There was a, I was a little sad because there's one moment where she shows, she's trying to show, you know, I don't even know who I am anymore. And then immediately after that, she's like, am I even pretty? Cause that is, I, I know, it, it was a, it was a sad, I don't know whether that was the film or that was a comment on how women look at themselves in this kind of society. Well, presumably that, that's the societal role that, that she has been trained to fit into. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was sad. And I, but by this point, the film had lost my trust <laughs> in it. And so, instead of me thinking, "Oh, that's an interest," that's that's horrible. That that's how women feel. Instead, I'm thinking, "Well, is that what you think?" I, I had lost my trust in the film to comment on society in a way, in that <laughs> way, because I, I. But I, it probably, I'm probably being ungenerous there. I mean, she is stunning, Ellen Barkin, in this. Um, uh, in, and, and in she, she portrays the, yeah, I'm basically beaten down and that's how it's going to be, really very effectively. And you do believe the kind of seduction as well, and you don't sort of think less of a, even though she doesn't, you know, there's It's a probably the tension. first kind word she's had for months. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then there's this weird, between her, with her marriage to, um, to Shrevey, there's this weird kind of, Reconciliation. Let's wrap it all up. The marriage is okay now. At the end, when they sort of dancing. Well, it's it's all wrapped up in haste. I mean, um, yeah, Billy, the the, the out of towner is who's come back for the for the wedding. Oh yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> well, yeah, this, this this is our man Tim Daly. Um, but you know, he he's got one of the more interesting mature plots. You know, he he's yeah. discovered that his girlfriend is pregnant, and and they have to work out what to do with it. He is being being the being the good guy. Offering to marry her, she doesn't yeah. want to, him to marry her just because of that. You know that that could go somewhere. Uh, okay, they one of the arguments of the TV station is is a bit too consciously arty, I think, where they're juxtaposing it with the soap opera scenes. Well, uh, I, that scene confused me a little bit because I got the impression they were going out on air. Is that what we were supposed to think? I don't that he'd think sat on so. a button and a red light, or we were just hearing it in the booth. That was more the impression I got, yeah. But, but yeah. I didn't really... I, I agree. I, it just felt a bit clumsy. I wasn't really sure what the point was. It was just... Yeah. And and again, we, we, are, we are told that everything is fine, but we don't really... I, I at least didn't get a sense of that. Uh, yeah, all right. So every, everything is made right by a stripper with a heart of gold. But, you know. <laughs> um, that was an interesting scene as well. What did you think of the, the musical scene? Well, this is this is the thing. 
what what really struck me about that was was happening earlier because you know these these two guys are at the strip bar and they're not looking at the stripper yeah yeah uh the camera is the, the camera is lingering over her, but but the, they are having their conversation they're not really interested in this that she's just scenery yeah. um and the feeling i was getting through a lot of this was that yeah, it probably started off for them all as, you know, sex is a thing that the cool kids have and therefore I want to have it. But by the time we see them, what they are, what they are doing, what they are enjoying is the quest for sex as opposed to the actual having of sex. Yeah. And the reason they're enjoying it is so they can go and tell their mates about it. Mm. So yes. it, it's, and, and this, this is, well, okay, this is Shrevi's point as well, you know. She's just there. Yeah. I can have sex whenever I want. And that it's not stated, but that there's a clear implication of, so what's the point? So what's the point? <laughs> yeah. And I suppose to follow on, he can't hardly, he can't really come into the diner and say, hey guys, I had sex with my wife. You're not going to believe it because mm-hmm. it's expected. So it loses all interest. There's no point scoring. He's already won the game. So that that's where I'm starting from in that scene. You know, they're not really terribly interested. Mm. And yeah, all right, he's da- he's dancing with with the dancer, but that's really a side effect of no, we're we're going to make this music happen. Damn it all! Yeah, where did that come from? I didn't get. Did I miss that he was a, a genius musician? Was that did I completely? Uh, no, no, it just didn't get mentioned. Okay, all right. So it just came out of the blue a bit that he was going to get up and... and... Obviously had some hero points left to to start a new skill. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, the scene was pleasant enough. i got to say, though, that that very quick scene in in the other diner where the two of them are talking with the dancer. Yeah. And and she's giving them wise advice. Okay, they needed some wise advice from somebody. But but it felt very much like oh boy this is the cliche moment. Well, it's like even more than the rest of the film. Yeah, this I am a female character who has so little else to do in my life that you two have appeared on the scene. Your protagonist, I'll spend the evening with you just chatting for now. It was a strange. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what what it was about. Um, I I would like to mention briefly the the last of the uh, male characters. Paul Reiser, Modell, who is not a big part of this, but no. I, yeah, I, I have seen him in one other film, mm. and he was perfect in that one other film, and I have had <laughs> great difficulty seeing him as anything else here. He's the same character, really, isn't he? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, he says different things and he has different character traits, but they're not produced in any different way. No, he's no he's got the same body probably. language. He's got exactly the same body language. He's, you would, yeah, you would believe he would grow up to be Carter Burke, who is clearly who he's talking about. He does crop up in the Stranger Things TV series, um, mm-hmm. as a more sympathetic character. Um, but he is, uh, twice the age that he is here, and I suppose he has changed to it. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, he's, he's, he's alright, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> this is what I feel about all of that. He's, he's, he has, the whole thing about the steak sandwich, I just, which Levinson insisted on keeping in. He said it was very important for establishing the characters. The I'm, I'm all for. I, I suppose I don't. Well, I'm not. I do, not every film has to be tight. Gut. Every line of dialogue has to. Some do. <laughs> some don't. I I love Tarantino's ability to captivate me with this kind of nonsense. Well, I don't know. In Pulp Fiction, again, I'm going a bit off of the beaten path. But while these assassins are just discussing. You know what uh, what McDonald's is like in Europe, as opposed to, and the differences between the two. It just sparkles. I'm just fascinated. Mm. You you want to hang out with those guys and chat with them? I don't know why, because I'm not that kind of guy, and I wouldn't, and I'd be just terrified they were going to kill me the whole time. <laughs> but you do here. I didn't. I could. I mean, if I'm well, I, I wonder myself, whether that's because in in, in the Tarantino, I, I, which I will admit I haven't seen, um, that you've got that tension. You you already know that these are cool criminals i think maybe it is the dramatic and, and, they're, and they're not talking about being cool criminals they're talking about this other crap exactly they're doing this while they're loading up shotguns and doing something very that said you know the opening scene of reservoir dogs is them all sitting around very like diner it's straight out of diner they're just dressed in suits 
they are just talking about anything but being criminals. I mean, you, you kind of know they are. But the opening scene is just out of diner and there isn't really dramatic tension there. And it still works for me because the dialogue is... We'll have to watch Reservoir Dogs, sorry. Um, <laughs> but the, it's... I don't know, it just sparkles for me in a way that this doesn't. And I can't, I can't really give Tarantino all the credit because he's clearly been influenced by Levinson and Levinson did all the groundwork here and I feel Tarantino just did it better to me. Mm. But I don't know what it is about these guys that just didn't, maybe it, maybe the problem is that they are all, they all had a career after this and I knew each and every one of them from something else and maybe that was a problem maybe if they were new actors to me maybe that would have worked better well i mean i've seen i've seen mickey rook but i've seen a much older mickey rook for the most part mm. um i've seen bacon in a few things i've seen gutenberg in a few things but they the, apart from paul riser uh, they these were not especially familiar faces to me okay well i suppose for me yeah, that, they... that may well have helped Yes, it might have helped a bit. Um, uh, yeah, I th- we haven't talked. Uh, yeah, Tim Daly, we have mentioned a few times. I just keep forgetting we've talked. About it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. No need to say more about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why it didn't quite sparkle for me because all the ingredients were there, but it just uh, didn't matter. And maybe Reservoir Dogs and Pop Fiction. <sighs> I don't know. I'm trying to say what I I don't mind. That that's the point I'm trying to make. So we started out with a steak sandwich and we've said great. Um <laughs> I just didn't find it interesting. I didn't believe that is a conversation people would have in that way. It felt like I'm doing some realistic dialogue now and it didn't feel real to me. It still felt like movie dialogue. And mm. maybe that I, I I don't know why that happened in my brain. But it did, and yeah. because like, that isn't a problem people are, other people have with Levinson, apparently. So I don't. Yeah, I'm. I've seen a bunch of his films. I've never really got a sense of him as a particular sort of director. Uh, I mean, he he directed Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, uh, he directed uh, Rain Man. He direct, directed Young Sherlock Holmes, in which my friend Mike had a had a role as policeman with Lestrade, which was cut before cinematic release. Oh no! <laughs> uh, oh, he's, like, he's also done I three like other films, films that are regarded as you know loosely connect. Well, not then. Yeah, they don't blend There's in characters. There's a Baltimore trilogy, isn't there? I tetralogy guess, now. Tetralogy. All right. Okay. All of which are basically you know being sort of not quite fitting in in. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, Baltimore. And one of the... Th- All right, maybe, maybe it's just that this sort of thing has become normalised for me, but when when they all turned up at the wedding and it was clearly a Jewish wedding, well, okay. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, that uh, un- Until you... that point, they could all be Catholic boys and it would work just the same. They're obviously, you know, not, not quite fitting in, but... That's all we get. I hadn't, I, I hadn't picked up it was a Jewish community, honestly, and probably should have done. I don't know, the only, I may be showing my ignorance there, the only two Jewish actors there that I wear prominently Jewish would be Steve Guttenberg and maybe Daniel Stern, so maybe I missed something there. But at, at least Paul in my Reiser, case, I, I don't either. assume that a uh, Jewish actor is going to be playing a Jewish character, you know? So. No, and, but if they were, I don't, I don't know. I don't suppose it mattered anyway. As you say, I, I, I suppose it wasn't really the point of the film that it was supposed to be a Jewish community. It was just, as you say, that they, they were a, a community of people who were, yeah, who were friends. I, I, it didn't really matter. But as you say, if, if if they were perhaps a bit more clearly framed as that, you know, they're all immigrants of the same general ethnicity or religion or whatever, that would make a bit more sense of why they hang out together. Yes, it would. Yes, you're right. That would have, uh, that would have, uh, closed that slightly. I think part of the reason I was just like, well, okay, it's because that was my reaction to most of the film. It's just, uh, okay. mm. I just, I didn't find it, I didn't dislike, I didn't, you know, Raging Bull I actively disliked and it was hard <laughs> to get through, um, frankly. Um, uh, this was just, it was just felt bland to me and uninteresting and I think that is not entirely the film's fault I I think it has just been so oft imitated that to me this felt like such well-trodden ground 
that it wasn't interesting to go back to the source material. The thing I thing I found interesting about it was not so much watching the film itself as you know, try to trace influences and looking at people's careers and so on afterwards. Yes. Uh, one, one thing I, w- I would note on that, uh, th- there, are, there are a couple of moments where I, where I think Levinson is about to start doing the city as a character. Uh, the, the, right. the, the reverse shot of the diner where they're all driving away in different directions. Oh yeah. And yeah. there's that bit at the other diner where the horse-drawn carriage goes past. But he never quite does yeah, anything about it. And he, he was, uh, advisor, executive producer, co-creator, etc. for Homicide Life on the Streets. Was he? Um, I mean, he seems to have been, he seems to have been the guy you went to if you wanted to film about Baltimore. So. I was going to say that would be, I wonder if he had anything to do with the wire then. I, I suppose what but, I would say though is yeah. that the, my experience of Baltimore prior to this is the wire. Um, <laughs> and this didn't feel like the same city to me. And you see a lot of the city. Well, presumably these guys are never going anywhere near a bad neighbourhood. Well, that's true. But there are a lot of other, you know, there's a whole series in the docks, there's a whole, Mm -hmm. about the newspapers and the, I felt, I felt Baltimore was a real character in The Wire, but I agree with you. Here it was much more generic city. I mean, your your David Simon, your your Laura Lippman novels, they, they very much establish, you know, this book, this series is set in this city, not the city, and th- this was much yeah. more the city, which seems a bit and of a I, waste. I suppose it's also this city in this time, and and this this film was also saying, here it is, this is this time. I wasn't, I think maybe you've answered this point, but I wasn't quite aware of the point of it being 1959 as opposed to 1982, and I think you've probably answered, or Pauline Kael has probably answered that, that it was the last moment before the sexual revolution when it was okay to be Utterly mystified by women. There were a few years left, but yeah. Um, uh, but I don't well, know also, that that ever really uh, went to it. Let's just see. Barry Levinson was, was born in 1942, so he would have been late teenager when this is set, and I think that may be considered perhaps uh, relevant. I think it might be, do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Um, it, it does have a strong feeling of nostalgia about it. It does. It just felt more like nineties nostalgia to me. <laughs> but that's weird. Um, well, do you have more? I'm running out of steam on uh, on Diner. I must say, I'm, I'm struggling yeah. because I'm, I'm I was not particularly whelmed by it. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it it's the influences that that really go into this. We've, hmm. we've talked about uh, Tarantino, um, ninety sitcoms, um, many a any adaptation. film. I, I gather that, which really bigs up the feminine roles. I suppose to me, I, I do, again, I've covered this ground already, but I feel I would be more forgiving of it if I felt this was kind of a condemnation of that society. Uh, but I don't know if the 80s was far enough away from it mm. and we're still in it. And well, let, 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 let's point out, you know, Levinson has not, unlike many other people working in film at this time, been accused of multiple rapes. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, you so take what you can get. Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe I'm looking at this with two 2021 eyes. Um, I mean, it's not a film that troubles the, the Bechdel test, as none of our films <laughs> have so far, uh, sadly. Didn't, didn't we get... We had a very close one with Night of the Living Dead. Mm. Well, we did. We had a technical pass, I think, <laughs> with Night of the Living Dead. Um, but that involved, what, three lines of dialogue? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. It was the, the bare minimum of technical. And I know the Bechtel test is, um, well, bare minimum would be, that, that is just, it's well, a that, parody. That the point of of it. A, yeah, it, the it, idea it, was that if you can't even do that. It's, it's, then, not, it's not a thing to shoot for. It's, it's, it's a absolute minimum standard, yeah. Yeah, it, well, it was a kind of a, even. It was even a jokey minimum standard, mm. wasn't it? When it was anyway. Uh, uh, I I didn't like the characters very much, and I didn't find the film very funny. I didn't find it terribly offensive, and the fact that I didn't find it offensive offended me a bit because I feel like I should have found it more offensive than I did. Um, but I didn't. I just didn't. It, it wasn't for me. And I don't know why, because it sounded like the sort of film I would like, and I liked all the actors and actresses. Mm. And, well, they're, sorry, they're all actors now. That's not very 2021 of me. Um, but, um, overall, 
Yeah. Uh, Tom- Thompson says it depends on the film's complete sympathy for the guys who are doing this and the immediacy of the actors playing the parts. Yeah. And I think half of that works. Yeah, exactly. One out of two ain't bad. Um, but if the film depends on it. And I think Thompson also talks about it wasn't really greater than some of its parts, even though it felt like it would, or it, it never really led on to the greatness that it kind of promised that it would. He puts it in a different way, but I think that was his point, really, that mm. it seemed very exciting at the time, but what did it really mean in the end? <laughs> and it, it didn't. I don't. I don't know that it's aged terribly well. Though that doesn't seem to be the opinion of the internet. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen rave reviews all over the place. So. Yeah. Well, we are different, even to Pauline Kale in this one. I think we are. <laughs> it's interesting. It's very rare that we have a huge disagreement, Roger. I don't know what that says about it, but we, we feel much the same about this. Was it? Uh, well, was it influential? I think we've already answered I think that. Absolutely. Question. Yeah. Yes. It's. It's uh, definitely. Um, shed its DNA into much of our culture nowadays, for which maybe that's why I resent it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it a masterpiece? Ah, uh, by my definition of would I watch it again after seeing it? No, please no. Um, <laughs> did I just, I just, I, di- I didn't think so. I had to check that I was watching the right film. Yeah, I, it provoked me to think more than I expected it to do when I started. But yeah, I think it could have been a much better film and had more to say, other yeah. than, hey, look at these guys. I think it could either have been a much funnier film, mm. or it could have been a much more thought-provoking film. It wasn't much of either for me. <laughs> but there we, we go. Shall we look at uh, 1982 at the box office? Yes, we do. I feel like this has been our most mere episode, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. Um, right, yes, let's do it. So, number 10, Annie, the um, oh. musical based off the 1977 Broadway stage show. Never uh, seen it. Little Orphan Annie comic originally. I know a few of the songs from it. That's, uh, uh, so, number 9, Best Little Wife in Texas, uh, Dolly Parton. Oh, I have seen that. Is that is that another Burt Reynolds one? It is. Oh my god, he was all over the box office. You, I don't know how he's become. I don't, maybe he hasn't been forgotten. But my feeling when when I've seen him in other things, yeah, such as the Cannibal Run films, where I think he's pretty good, is that he's generally aware of his limitations as an actor, and he doesn't try to transcend them. But when he stays within what he knows he can do, he could be pretty darn good. Have you seen Deliverance? Uh no. You should. He's very good. Yeah, probably there. right. Uh, so, number eight, Poltergeist. Oh. Uh, ri- written, oh, co-written by Spielberg, from a story by Spielberg, uh, directed by Tobe Hooper. Tobe Hooper? Uh, off, that's a funny choice, isn't it? Off Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. into Spielberg territory. Um, yeah, I remember, I, I sort of, I sort of feel like I know more stories about Poltergeist than I remember the film, which I remember almost none of. Yeah, Spielberg did actually want to direct it himself, but uh, he was tied up with another film and he wasn't allowed to do two at once. So <laughs> Was that Raiders? No, we'll, we'll come back to that because it's higher up the... Uh... Hang on, he did do two at once, didn't he? Um, didn't he? He well, was the, editing it, it Jurassic was in, Park. It was in the contract for this one. Uh, anyway. He was editing Jurassic Park while he directed Schindler's List, which is a bit of a total <laughs> shift, I must say. Anyway. So, number seven, 48 hours. Um, oh, yeah. Which yeah. I, I would say, I don't know how well it would work now, frankly, but yeah. it, it defined a lot of things about Buddy Cop uh, yeah, that was, got endlessly reused. I think you're right. Was that the first, like, mismatched buddy movie? It feels like certainly not, not a the very first, early one. Yeah, and it, it made Eddie Murphy's career as a, um, not basically an actor rather than a comedian. That reminds me, I don't know why, of a, I used to watch the Alexi Sales show and there's one where he's, <laughs> where he's playing a very much Arnia-like and he says, there's your new partner, Smith, and he goes into a room and goes, that's all I need, a goddamn cake. And it's just a cake on a table and the, the premise mm-hmm. of the film is cake cup. <laughs> one's a, <laughs> one's a cup, the other's a cake. Anyway, <laughs> I thought it was quite a nice. Anyway, I, I shall move on. Uh, number six, uh, Star Trek 2, the good one. The good one, the very good one. 
Oh, we 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 should mention we're recording this the day after um, the Captain Kirk actor has gone into the very fringes of space in Jeff Bezos Jeff Bezos's giant space cock, which was a sight mm. for us all to see. Uh, number five, Porkies, which I think we mentioned in passing before. Uh... Oh, Porky! Well, I suppose yeah, I forget that Porky Porkies is basically uh, a, a Animal House pinched, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, okay. But I knew Porky's before I knew Animal House. I never... I and it, and it wasn't tied to the frat house thing in the same way. No. I no. think one could argue it probably has a lot... It would have a lot to say to this film and vice versa. Yeah, and both of them sadly have had influences <laughs> on <laughs> pop culture since then. But there we are. Uh, number four, uh, Rocky Three. Because, you know... This, this, is, this is the one with Eye of the Tiger. This is Eye of the Tiger, is it? Wow. Um, okay. I've never seen. I feel like I should. I probably enjoy Rocky more than I enjoyed Raging Bull. Did they come out the same year? I think maybe they did. Uh, pretty clear. close, at least. Yeah. Well. Uh, so number three, an officer of gentlemen, uh, romantic drama, Richard Gere, Deborah Winger. Yeah, Os- Oscar botherer, I suppose. I would think. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah, but it made number three at the box office. So yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, that kind of Oscar botherer. Number two, Tootsie. Um, Ooh, I wonder how well that's aged. I'm not sure you could call it a star-making role for Dustin Hoffman, but he was certainly a name people talked about afterwards. Yes. I'd, well, we'd had Kramer versus... He'd been in a few few other things, hadn't he? But yeah, all yeah. right. I, I always, When I was growing up, I thought of Dustin Hoffman as a comic actor, which would probably have greatly upset the man. Um, <laughs> but probably on the basis of Tootsie, I imagine. I know my parents loved it. I'm sure it's inoffensive in its time I've no idea well it was probably edgy in its time and very little age is less well than that Uh, that's true I mean Mrs Doubtfire I found uncomfortable at the time I must say that was very strange Anyway, and Hoffman of course um, you've heard the the, uh, anecdote about method acting Remind me. I, lo- I know it, but I, I, I so like to really he, he is on, on, a, on a set with, with the aged, aged Olivier and is talk, talking about how, he, how he's doing this and this and that and the other to get into character. And what, what do you do, sir? I, I try acting, dear boy. <laughs> Come on. I, I, it may be apocryphal, but it's one of those stories that I don't care because should have been, <laughs> should have been true. Exactly. Uh, and at number one, a little film called E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which Aww. I will admit I have still never seen and I don't particularly want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, we may have talked about this in previous podcasts. I don't want to because the child in me still loves it and I don't really want to kill that off. Mm. For, sure, for me, even, it was one of the first examples of a film that was so desperately hyped, I could feel myself being told, you must love this film. <laughs> and be, be, being a cussed sort of youth, I didn't. You, you refused to. Uh, you were a bit older than me, of course, uh, at that time. For me, I just I was sobbing that I didn't have an E.T. to come home with. <laughs> um, for me, it's like a more interesting version of Close Encounters, I think. Um, it does have some Spielbergy problems and is... Obsession with child protagonists in a way that doesn't really treat children in the way... Stephen King is much better at child protagonists, I think, than Stephen Spielberg. <laughs> um, but I won't go off about them. Stand by me again. There we go. Maybe we should watch it sometime. Oh, I love it. Oh, if, I would, I would, that is a film I would watch the end of and start again when I'd stop crying. Um, oh, <laughs> that's a great film. Well, there we are. Diner. Um, yeah, not... it's, it's it's sort of there, really. Yeah, I think that is possibly the the most damning thing we've said about any film we've watched. Just sort of there, we seem out of step with everyone else. So, so the question in my mind, and I don't think we've really answered this, is what is it about this that did appeal to such a huge range of people? It can't be a single thing because it's appealing to a lot of different people. Mm. I don't know if maybe we are the atypical ones in the room here, because to me, (laughs) as I've said, I've been in a room with people like that and not felt a wave of warm camaraderie towards them. (laughs) Let's put it that way. And maybe that says more about me than it does about Dinah. Well, you know, I'm I'm the sort of person who I, I, I suspect many, many social groups have someone who is always amusingly bitchy about people who aren't there. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I'm, I'm the sort of person who thinks, 
I wonder what he says about me when I'm not there. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly, yes, yeah. <sighs> well, there we are. But, yeah, I, I don't regret having watched this, I've got to say. I mean, I didn't enjoy it, but I, 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 I learned from it, and it certainly seems to have... You know, it's filling in the skeleton of what a lot of later filmmakers just assumed was part of, part of the pattern they could work with, so... I think you're that is that's the joy of doing this is that you see and they're doing it progressively year by year is you you catch these things on the up and on the ascendant and it's interesting to see some of these things pop out fully formed some need a bit more refining but and some seem to point in a direction that just died off like most of the new wave and this seemed to capture the zeitgeist and everyone then wanted to do it um there mm, we are. sometimes and, it worked um, and, and sometimes we had diner. Well, it only <laughs> remains for me to say, Roger, would you like some popcorn? Oh, thanks. I've, I've just put one away. Oh, okay. <laughs>